All right, well, Drew, if you want to come on up. This morning we are, are, are doing something we haven't done in a lot of years, but it is a time-honored tradition, not just in this community, but all over the place, something called a pulpit swap, uh, where... A uh, pastor from one church will go preach at another church, and their pastor will come uh, preach there. And this is something we used to actually do in Topeka years and years ago. Uh, hasn't been done in a long time, but, but we've, we've shared a lot here uh, and rejoiced that, that God has done a work in uniting our hearts with uh, Pastor Drew and some of the other pastors over at New Life Fellowship just up the road. I've even learned the right direction to point towards their church, which is, I always point that way. Do you really think it's that way? Yeah. Dang it. Because that's where I always point. <sighs> okay. All right. But I know it now. Uh, and so we, we've just uh, rejoiced as, as God has united our hearts. And we started meeting with them maybe a year and a half ago or so uh, when everything was happening with Revive Indiana. Started getting together and meeting with them. And, and we found out real quick that God was um, just knitting our hearts together and uniting us. So, so we have... Um, sure enjoyed that relationship and, and look forward to all that God's doing there. So uh, Pastor Matt is over at New Life right now. They're hearing the Bible preached for maybe first, the first time. The first time. Maybe the first time. Uh, and so, <laughs> and Drew's going to preach the Bible here for maybe the one millionth time. I'm just kidding you, Drew. Uh, and so uh, we have a, a special honor in having Drew here to preach. We're actually the, the Savior pastor is what it is. <laughs> All right, on that note, have at it. <laughs> okay. Uh, it, it, I guess it is a traditional flop, but swap. But the one reason, the one reason uh, at least for me, that I'd like to come be with you today is I just want to say thank you to you all. Uh, I cannot begin to describe how great uh, you all have been for us at New Life, especially for me as a younger pastor. I've only been there six years, and I'm new to the community, and uh, there's been some things that were going on over there at New Life that God was doing and we needed some help in. And uh, Eden Worship Center has not at all been hesitant to, to answer the call, whether it's allowing Matt or Jason to come over and lead worship when one of our worship leaders has been gone. Um, I can think of a time when we had an activity where we wanted all our volunteers uh, to actually be in the service and we didn't want to have them miss what God was doing. And you all came over and uh, did our child care for an evening. Uh, in fact, that was the night that um, Jason over there locked my oldest eight-year-old son in a, in a cabinet and took a picture of it and wouldn't let him out. You remember that? And so I just, again, just want to... It's on video, yes. I thought maybe next time we'd show that. But I, I, uh, I just can't, I can't say thank you enough. And the Bible speaks very clearly of giving honor where honor is due. And, um, and I just want to say thank you. But we also believe in connecting churches. Churches that may uh, operate a little differently in the method, but the message never changes. And uh, we may do some things different, you may do some things different, but the message of Jesus Christ and His Holy Word and the authority of Christ alone given to us through the Bible never, ever, ever changes. And so again, thank you so much for allowing me to bring my passion to you this morning, even though it was given to me by Matt. So he said, you will teach on this passage, and I said, that's great, I enjoy that. And I told him, here's where we are, and he fitted in there a little bit, and he's uh, over there serving new life, and we're thankful for that. Before I ask you to jump in, why don't you grab your Bibles, grab your smartphones, whatever you use, and we're going to turn to Mark chapter 6 here, and we're going to go through Mark chapter 6, 1 through 6. Before I get there, before we jump in and spend quite an amount of time in the verbiage and in what the Lord is teaching us through His Holy Word, it is alive and active and ready for us to learn something this morning, 
uh, I, I, want, I want to take you to a place that, that really I need your help in us getting there. And so I want you to kind of, uh, just kind of gather your thoughts for a moment, and I want to ask you a question, and I want you to take me to a place maybe even, as, and the place can be what, whatever it is for you, but a place where you saw God move in an extraordinary way, in a way that you look back and go, man, if, if God just did that every time, Every day in my life, I, I don't know how I'd even get anything else done because the, the power and the presence of God was so alive in this moment. Do you, want, do you have a moment like that? Can you, can you go to that moment? Go to that moment right now. What was the characteristics, what was the, uh, the environment like, what was the situation that allowed God in that arena in that story of yours, to work in such an incredible way that you would, maybe, if I can speak for you, you'd label it like a top five spiritual moment in your life. What was the circumstance? Why did God move in such a great way? Why, why can't he move all of the time like that? And maybe the question is, maybe he wants to, but I wonder what it would be like if we could kind of understand the movement of God and say, God, we want more of you, we want more of you, and yet to begin to look at do we have any responsibility in the movement of God in our lives? Uh, it was just a, a number of years ago I took uh, our youth. Part of my responsibility at New Life is also helping out with the senior high youth ministry. And we took about 30 students and a number of leaders uh, to Copper Hill, Tennessee. And it was, uh, it was the corner of, let me get this right, my geography. New Life is that way, right? Uh, it, ten Tennessee, the corner of Tennessee, Georgia, and North Carolina. It was right in the corner. And we actually slept in North Carolina. We ministered in Georgia, and we played in Tennessee. And so we just did, it was, right, I mean, literally right there in the corner of all those, those states. And um, uh, what was interesting is we had horrible living conditions. We, um, the work site in which we did was, was, was just horrible. That, Copper Hill was a city that many, many years ago, I don't know how many, was really uh, flourished because of the copper mining that was going on. And uh, there, it's no longer needed as much, and the town has become desolate. And, and what happened was, is uh, one day, a, a guy who was paid to take care of the levee released the dam too early. And he, he didn't mean to, or he had faulty information, and he released too much water. And water flooded the town, all the way through the town, over the doors within every home. And so if you could imagine going into your home and realizing that as the water proceeded to go away, that water was just so prevalent in your house that it proceeded across the doors. It was higher than some of your ceilings. Now it had left, but many of these families were left with the results of having that much water sit for that much length of time at that greatest space in their home. So the home we were charged to work with was a home that was not even worth $1,000. You could walk into the home and you could push onto the wall and the wall would fall through because of all the mold and everything that's been in there. And they were calling for a family to have their first home and their son was someone who had medical needs and he needed to uh, have a better living condition. And so they had to wipe away all the mold and get rid of all these things. And our students were able to do that. It, it just, it was horrific what they were able to see and had to work through. When we got back to that, e that time, though, the worship for that camp, for that mission trip, was unbelievable. It simply was incredible. It was, 
a notch lower than what we had just experienced with Jason and his team. But it was really good. It was powerful. They, all of these students from all across the Midwest just came crushing into this uh, auditorium. And there was high-level energy. And it just seemed that no matter what song we chose and what style we sang it, it was like the presence of God was there. Towards the end of the week, after all the work and all of the worship and all of the fun times together, we saw a number of students come to know Jesus as their Savior. And so it was an extremely Holy Spirit-led, powerful time where the Holy Spirit did such a mighty work, and many of our students today would say, that is where God moved in my life. That is where God moved in my life. All the scenarios lined itself, supposedly, and they accepted Christ. A number of other students were called to be into ministry. A number of other students were called to lead and to step up in their classrooms and then in their schools and in their families and to be a leader within our church. It was a beautiful experience. The following year, we went to a completely different location. and It was a completely different trip. We even took more students this time and we went up into the Appalachian Mountains and uh, the living conditions were better. The work site was better. But the teaching time and the worship time, by our standards, were not, I don't know how to say this, because it's not about a performance, is it? But it just, it wasn't really done well. In fact, uh, I looked over to one of my leaders, and after a 30-minute guy speaking, I said, I don't even think I can understand what he's saying. Like, he was struggling even speaking English and, and communicating a point and the worship team got up and they, they played songs we'd never heard of. And they were out of key. And it was, they had the, the, what did you say you had this morning? Your little thing on the wrong strand? The capo on the wrong strand? Well, they had it on the, all the wrong strands. And it just, and it, the Bible says that we are to do worship well. With, we give it our best and we play a joyful music. But it's not about a performance. And what was amazing to our kids, completely different experience, one, we would say, the Holy Spirit moved in a greater way over here, and this, we're like, okay, stay awake, Jimmy. Stay awake, Sally. Don't fall asleep. And, oh, do we have to go to the worship team? Do we have to go into the Bible? Yes, we do. We're part of this. And so we sat down at the end of the week, and guess what the difference was between the first trip and the last trip? Nothing. Kids gave their life to Jesus. Kids were called into ministry. Kids were called to lead in their homes. And it was fascinating as a pastor to watch the amazing work of God be so free that we don't have to put certain scenarios on our spiritual growth. And that is exactly what is going on here in Mark chapter 6. The people of Jesus' hometown are putting certain stipulations on how they can hear from Jesus. Before we go any further, the question that I'd like to ask today is what type of scenarios do we feel we have to have in order for God to move in our lives? Does it have to be the right song? Does it have to be the right pastor? Does it have to be my style of worship? Does it need to be with who I'm with? Does it always have to be on a Sunday? Does it have to be 72 degrees or whatever in the auditorium? What is it that we have to have for God to speak to us? Or is God saying, can we remove those things? I, I have a plan for you. I have a blessing to give you. And uh, you're missing it because you're putting requirements on me. 
Look at Mark chapter 6. Let's, uh, you look at it and I'll read it and then we'll, we'll read it together. He went away from there, Jesus, and he came to his hometown, his homecoming, and his disciples followed him. Now the Sabbath he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty words done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James, and Joseph, and Judas, and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they took, what's the next word? They took offense at him. They could not learn from him. They could not associate with him. The situation was not how they perceived it to be. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor, except in his hometown and among his relatives and his own household. And he could do no mighty work there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And then Jesus did something that I wrestle with. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went out among the villages teaching. So Jesus left and he went to other villages. But can you imagine looking at Jesus and Jesus sees a lot of lack of faith. But at this lack of faith, Jesus marveled. He's like, wow, this is pretty intense. This is a big deal. This is, uh, man, I just can't believe. They're my family. That's, that's Billy Bob over there. He was the guy that I, you know, snuck around with during the evenings when we were out in the town wrestling up. And there's Sally over there. We were in school together. And we went over to that people's house every Saturday to get, go sw- swim in the pond or whatever they did when they were children. This was his hometown. And he could not even understand in his humanity, the unbelief of his families, of his hometown. What I'd like to do is break this down together today, and there's a couple of things that the words, uh, that well, let's just highlight together. If you have a pen, you can hi- highlight it on, the, on your Bible or mark it on your phone or whatever, however you do this. It says, He went away from there and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. And the Sabbath he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astonished. I wonder if they were astonished because of the power that what she was saying or because what he was saying offended them. But they go on to say, where did this man get these things? Is, I believe the most important line in the entire passage because it solidifies what Jesus was doing and it also tells us that they didn't understand something. Where did Jesus get these things? What things? His nice outfit? His really cool sandals he was wearing for the day. His disciples, I mean, his disciples were following him. Where did he get these jokers who were following? I know Jesus, he's from us. Where did these people come from? Particularly, I think it goes on to say about wisdom and knowledge and also power. So here's a man who came from the hometown. And he came back with power, with disciples with wisdom beyond his education. People followed him everywhere. He left a carpenter and he came back a rabbi. People's idea of where greatness will come from often floors us. Do you ever wonder where you think greatness will come from? You guys know the stories of how Jesus picked his disciples. 
None of them were very popular. None of them had really succeeded very well in life. Most of them were fishermen. And he just said, hey, come follow me. And greatness happened. But I think in our culture, we are really quick to kind of label where greatness can come from. Can, can greatness can greatness come from Topeka? I, know, I, live, I, I have a church in Topeka. I mean, I'm, I would think greatness would come from Chicago or you know, Los Angeles, you know, the bigger cities. Little old Topeka? You know, little Shipshuana, LaGrange County? Man, man may, we might have the, like, the best cows and horses in the world, but, <laughs> but greatness? Next president of the United States? The cure for cancer? A revolutionary idea within business? Topeka? Nah. They didn't understand what was this town that was so special that here's a man, he left, he left us and he came back and something had happened and they didn't get it because nothing good comes from here. When was the last time any of us were astonished and surprised at what God did because we couldn't see it coming? That God did something so incredible, only God can do, that he did it in such a way that normally we would never, ever see it coming. I believe with all of my heart that this is what Jesus' family and his surrounding community is beginning to see. Jesus, Jesus. So a strike one against Jesus that his family had for them is, it says, is not this the carpenter? Is this not a carpenter? That wasn't a, a phrase of endearment. That wasn't a phrase of, hey, look, he's a really good carpenter. You see those cabinets back there? Man, those are Jesus's. That wasn't it at all. He had no theological training. He was someone who did exactly what his fathers did. And so in this culture, let me give it to you, there is a great understanding of discipleship. And when we say discipleship, we often mean like discipleship, like making followers of Jesus, right? Shake your head yes if you get it. No, if you don't, Okay but followers of Jesus. But that's not just only what a disciple could be. I could be a disciple of my father. I could be a disciple of, of Jason. You'd come save me though, right? If that, yeah, then, okay, thank you. I needed an amen on that one. It could be a disciple of a friend. It's, it's something where you learn to do what they do, and, and that is what you do. And so Jesus had a strike because he was a carpenter stating all he ever accomplished in life, his destiny, was his lot that was set in front of him was already decided because his dad was a carpenter. And so Jesus spent most of his time with his dad, and what he learned was his carpentry. And so did everybody else in their town. Their future, their destiny was just simply decided by, the, by who they were born to and simply decided that they had to do what their father did unless they were some sort of amazing person and the religious leaders plucked them away. They were destined to do. It was already laid out in front of you. Now, guys, think about that in our culture. See, we, we have no clue how to live this way because we even celebrate the, the, those that break the mold, that, that go away from what was supposed to be destined to them. We, we tell our children, you can be whatever you want to be. My son wants to be an astronaut who lands on Mars and lives there for 45 years. Good, go for it. it ain't going to happen, but we don't tell him that. 
He's scared of heights. There's no way he's going to make it work. I think my youngest son would like to be a full-time child the rest of his life. That sure isn't going to happen either. But we celebrate the, the thinking that we can be more, we can do more, we can accomplish more, and that has nothing to do with this culture. By the time you can think and understand for yourself, you pretty much knew what you were going to do, Lord willing, in 30 years if you lived that long. So you were a disciple of somebody. Everybody understood the words. Everybody understood how they taught each other. They were disciples. We don't think that way. Hollywood doesn't even think that way. I was thinking the other day, the movies that we celebrate. Uh, how about uh, the one with a little um, young mermaid? She was a mermaid for a king and sang all these really weird songs with a crab. And, but she longed for more. And what did she long for? She wanted to be where the people are. We could sing that song, couldn't we? <laughs> I just recently watched a movie uh, called Race, and it was illustrating the story of a young black runner from the inner city Cleveland area in the early 1900s who dreamed to be the first to go to his college. He dreamed to go to the Olympics and eventually dreamed to win a gold med medal in the 1933 Olympics over there in Nazi Germany, where African American and Jews were not allowed to and looked at as less than human beings. And we celebrate that. It's based on a true story. We, we, we cele celebrate that. Talk about this one. And may we not forget the friendly little snowman. Remember the friendly little snowman named Olaf? Come on, kids, you can sing that song too. Let it go. Olaf dreamed of more. He dreamed he could be a snowman in the middle of the summer. It's like, I don't have to be a snowman who's confined to winter. I can be a snowman who who's lives th all throughout life, and I get to be in winter and in summer, and he got his own special little flurry. Do you remember? Now, could you imagine all the other snowmen and snowwomen when they got to see Olaf, do you think they were fond of Olaf? Here's a little jerk. He prances around with his own special little flurry. He's broke the mold, and now he gets to be Olaf in summertime, too, when the rest of us are just little puddles. That is what they felt about Jesus. We don't break the mold here. We're stuck. Isn't this Jesus? Isn't this the carpenter who simply his lot in life like so many other lots in life? How can he do this? How come he gets to break the mold? Why can't I break the mold? How come I can't go away and come back and be something different? I got to do what my dad did before me and what his dad did before him. And my destiny is stuck because it made jealousy and envious, they couldn't hear the very message of God. It wasn't presented to them in a way that they liked to hear about it. Because it came from someone that was jealous and they were envious of. And they wished it could have been them. 
I like to sometimes call this gift envy. Do you ever have gift envy? I, I do. I watch Jason sing. And I pray to God that for just one hour, I could sing to my wife like Jason sings. Like, I would be the husband of the year. I don't have that gift. I sound like a foghorn on steroids. It, it just, it's, it's not very good. And we can get jealous of God's blessings and God's direction and God's leading and everybody else's, and therefore we say no to what he has for us. It was so bad for, for them, so frustrating for them, that their own brother, their own neighbor, was becoming the Messiah. They could not hear. And it wasn't just in their own town. Turn to John one forty three if you have your Bible. And in John 1, <laughs> I love this passage. In John 1, 43, Jesus is calling his disciples. It's really the story of how he calls them. The day before, he had called a few other disciples called Peter and Andrew, his brother. And in verse 43, Jesus says, the next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. So he left his town and there he found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethesda, the city of Andrew and Peter. So the, actually the town that Jesus just left. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him who Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said, Come and see, come and see. So here's what happens. <laughs> I think Jesus has a ton of humor. In verse 47, Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said to him, Behold, Nathanael, an Israelite, indeed, in whom there is no deceit. You can't trick Nathanael. And Nathaniel responds by going, how do you know me? How did, why did you call me? Jesus answered him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. <clears throat> I saw you talk to Philip and tell Philip that nothing good comes from Nazareth. You must be a man of complete honor with no deceit whatsoever. And at that point, it triggers in Nathaniel, this guy regardless of whether or not he's from his, where he's from, is the Messiah. So Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. The blessings that was going to be given to Nathanael that he was going to see greater things. He was going to see amazing things. He was going to see heaven descend. Anybody else want to see that? The rest of you are lying. Okay. Anybody else want to see an angel? Okay. Nathaniel gets that blessing because he chose to believe 
who Jesus was, regardless of where he came from. And yet going back to Mark chapter 1, his very own family cannot and will not see those things because of their inability to receive the message because who was giving them the message? Because the scenario wasn't right. Much of it based in jealousy and envy. He's just one of us. I don't need to learn from you. That was his first strike. So where he came from, another strike. Let's go back to Mark chapter 6 and look at it again. Where did this man get these things with this wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is this not the carpenter? And then it goes on to the son of... Son of what, church? Son of Mary. Now, in the previous passage we just read in John, Philip called Jesus the son of Joseph. We would not do well to not notice the difference of the two. Because here's Jesus' hometown going, is this not Jesus, the son of Mary? Why not Joseph? It's very common to describe one's descendants based upon the father. So this is Joseph, has Jesus. This is Drew, the son of Mike. Molly, the son of Roger. Jason, the son of the Pope. Of Topeka. They're bullies. They're bullies. Not only is it that Jesus doesn't have the right credentials because of where he came from, he also doesn't have the right credentials because of who he is. You don't think it got around at all that Mary played around the field a little bit? That Mary had Jesus outside of wedlock with Joseph? That Joseph was a godly man, but Mary couldn't be patient. She raged with lust and needed to fix that. And there came Jesus. She was unfaithful. And the only reason she's alive is because Joseph spared her. And this is the offspring of that sin. What could he amount to? His mom committed adultery. He's nothing. They couldn't see who Jesus was because Jesus came from where nobody expected him to come from. And that's why it's labeled today a prophet without honor is because a prophet is without honor when he comes from a place that nobody expects him to come from. Turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 1 real quick. There's a phrase that you can write down in your notes if you'd like to. But here's the phrase that I'd like to give you today. That Jesus wants to give you all that he has to give you. All that he has to give you. If you, you don't have to go back there, but as we finish out Mark, Mark chapter 6, you're going to see that Jesus said, I, I can't do anymore. I can't do, they're not ready to receive. Jesus was willing to give them so much more 
and they did not receive the full blessing of Jesus because of their inability to receive it from him. He had more to show them. He had more to give them. He had a bigger blessing. Do you think at all that any one of us, that God could have a bigger blessing? He's got more to show you about his son Jesus. He's got more greater things in store for you, but we don't get it because we don't like the way it's been given to us. Mark chapter 6. It says that Jesus couldn't do anything more than what? Can you read it? What does it say? Okay, the Pope said it. What's everybody else think? Heal a few sick. Uh, any, anybody see that around recently? I've, I've seen it at times. I, I thought about this. You know, Jesus is not sarcasm. But Jesus couldn't do because they weren't ready. They wouldn't want to receive. <laughs> and the best that Jesus could do was lay his hands on people and heal them. <laughs> That's the best. Oh. I mean, I thought about that with a conversation with a friend, and we all struggle to keep church a priority, don't we, sometimes? A couple weeks ago, I was at the lake, and I had a week off, and it was Sunday, and I was actually, during this time right now, I was on a big donut float. I'm like, now I know why people skip church. <laughs> I'm just being honest. Because this, I mean, preaching's good, worship's great, but it ain't that good. I mean, I'd rather stay here on the float. Well, if, if my church service was filled with a bunch of healings going on all the time, you'd think I'd want to be there. And Jesus almost, not sarcastically, but the, the little thing that he could give them, the, the minuscule, minuscule is just healing. But he had so much more. I mean, can you imagine sitting down talking to your friend, hey, you want to go to church today? Well, yeah, what's going on? Uh, a bunch of people are going to get sick, and then someone's going to lay their hands on them, they're all going to get healed. Uh, I've seen it before, never mind, let's go to the lake. I mean, we wouldn't do that. And that's all Jesus could give. That was the minimum. God is so good that even those that aren't ready to receive him, he's still healing them. I don't understand, to be honest with you, all of the differences between healings way back then and healings now and miracles that Jesus did that maybe we see in other countries but we don't see in America. But what I do know is we might be willing just to receive the minimum. I'm saved. Jesus has healed my brokenness to a point, and I'm saved. Amen? And, and that's a pretty good minimum, isn't it? But I don't need any more. I don't need anything else. I can go live my life. But Jesus has so much more to give. And maybe we don't receive it because we're not ready to, because it's delivered to us in a way we don't like. 
Maybe it comes from some place or somewhere that frustrates us or angers us. There's so much to learn, so much blessing to be given, and we don't get it all because we're just like his family, his hometown, where we might just get the bare minimum. We might be saved for 30 years, and that's as far as our relationship with God goes. But something great could be given to you. Something great can come out of Topeka. Something great can come out of Eden Worship Center, New Life Fellowship, and Maple Grove, and Emma Mennonite Church. God wants to give so much more than we can even hopefully hope for or imagine. And yet we don't receive it. Jesus' strikes were where he came from, whom he came from. And here's a key statement. Don't miss all that God has for you because you don't like how it is delivered. Don't miss all that God has for you because you don't like how it is delivered. As I close, I'd like to just share with you um, my, my, personal, my personal story here. Um, there's been times in my life where uh, God intentionally created me with weakness. By the way, turn to your neighbor and say, he created you with weakness too. <laughs> Some more than others, right? He does. But it's through that weakness that God then draws us closer to him. Our dependency upon God it increases. God intentionally created me with weakness, and I have um, battled for many, many times in my life, anxiety in my life. Uh, I grew up uh, being diagnosed OCD, um, which means I got a, it wasn't one of those that I had to have everything in the right spot, but like these chairs are a little crooked here that just, I can't focus, just, just joking. <laughs> but I was diagnosed with OCD and I had to, I had to wash my hands a bunch of times, I was always nervous of germs, and that's how it kind of it it presented itself when I was younger, but the OCD was more of just, I had to process everything. That my mind never turns off. That my mind continued over and over and over again. Eventually, I was able to understand that it is like a sickness, just like a cold or cancer or things, and through medication or things, God has been able to do a mighty work in healing me and those things. And there are moments, too, where it's just a full-out dependency on God. But can I be dead honest with you? In the moments when those things happen, and I go, God, why are you allowing me to feel this way, to be this way? Why did you allow this to be part of my life? I don't like it. I don't want it. If I could reject it, I would. I don't want it delivered this way. Somehow this is a blessing. Somehow this is more than just salvation. And my loving Heavenly Father goes, yes. And through this, you are going to bless many, many people. And I stand before you today saying, probably the number one ministry I have is working with people that go through anxiety and depression. And every time I get to do that, it blesses the socks off me. But I sure did not like how it was delivered to me. Could we be people that God and Jesus is standing on our front door knocking, saying, I'm home. 
I have so much more for you than just salvation. But we just don't want it because of the way it is delivered. May you be able to receive all that God has, all that he has for you, and great things will come out of Topeka. May I pray for you? Father, uh, it's with just a humble heart that I stand before many who I don't know, but I love them. I care for them. I, I want that full blessing that Jesus wants to give for them. I want it too for me. I don't want to reject it because it might be painful or I might be envious that I didn't get the blessing that the other person gets or I don't have the gift sets or I only get to do this, Father. Whatever you have for us is what we want. And we want all of it. And you want to give all of it, but you won't unless we're ready to receive it. May Jesus, as he has a home in our hearts, may he be welcome there. May he be a prophet with honor in our home. May we celebrate what he brings to our home, even if we don't like how he brings it. Give these people strength, Father. Give them wisdom to navigate by your Holy Spirit day to day what you have for them. And I expect, I believe with all of my heart, that greater things are coming because you have greater things to give. In Jesus' name we said, amen. Thank you.